right. Yeah. How many do not recognize that song? How many do recognize that song? All right. Now, obviously, that is Highway to Hell. Now, you may be asking yourselves, why in the world would a Christian church be playing Highway to Hell as we start out a service? Now, we all realize that the world tries to trivialize hell and, you know, try to make it almost a laughing matter. We rock out to it. Uh, there are a lot of people that would say that, man, I want to go to hell because I'm pretty sure that's where my friends are going. So that's where I want to be also. Um, want to welcome you once again to TBA. Uh, if you are new to TBA this morning, I want to uh, just say a special welcome to you. We hope that you'll stick with us for a little while so that we could uh, walk with you for a while. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in the middle of our Mythbuster series, and today we're going to be talking about the myths that surround heaven and hell. Now, if you were like me, when we announced this series and we figured out that heaven and hell was going to be one of our myth-busting mornings, I kind of said to myself, well, how many myths really are there about heaven and hell? Heaven's real. Hell's real. If you are a Christian, you go to heaven. If you're not, you go to hell. This could be the shortest sermon. We could wrap up right now. You guys can be the first in line over at, over at your steakhouse steak of choice. And we go on with our day, right? Sounds good? All right, amen. No. <laughs> we, uh, we're going through this Mythbuster series because... Oh, wait, wrong slide. Sorry. Um, we're going off of the TV series where the Mythbusters go along. They find something that sounds real, might sound fake. They want to put it to the test and figure out whether or not it's myth or reality. Now, obviously, um, the topics that we have chosen, last week Dave Shive spoke about life after death. Today we have heaven and hell. These are not subjects that you can go out, make a scientific test to put these, these situations to the test and find out whether they are real or not. These, the, the areas that we are investigating are matters of our faith, and so we really have to dig in deep to find out what the Bible truly says about these different areas. Last week, Dave was looking at life after death. And he went through the passage of Luke where Christ is telling the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, it, unbeknownst to you, that was actually the passage that I had intended to use for this week's sermon. And so I said to myself, okay, that has to be more than coincidence. I realized that many times God uses the shotgun effect rather than the rifle effect. He sends a whole lot of, whole lot of bullets at the target rather than w just one shot. Now, with this, we realize that God might be trying to tell us something very specifically through this passage. Let's, let's look through it a little bit more thoroughly, very quickly, so that we can get on to our text for the day. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and put your finger in John chapter 14. We're going to be there in just a minute. Luke has us, has us say there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores 
and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Pretty gross. The time came that when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, or hell, where he was in torment, he looked up, he saw Abraham from afar, and Lazarus by his side. He called him to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony of this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, so that because I, ha- I have five brothers. Let, them, let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, That was a test. When we look at this situation, we realize that Christ is telling a parable that have very real implications. He confirms that, yes, there is a hell. Yes, there is a heaven. Dave came to the the three conclusions last week that when we die, our soul lives on. Our soul is a part of us, but when our physical body dies, our soul lives on. Number two, our souls will have one of two eternal destinations, heaven or hell. A place of torment, a place of comfort. Lastly, there are no do-overs. This is a wonderful uh, jumping off point because most of us in this room, I assume most of us, because we're sitting here in a Christian church, we, we agree with that. Yes, there is a heaven. There is a hell. Those who have been reconciled to God go to heaven. Those who have, who have uh, not been reconciled to God go to hell. There are a lot of questions that pop up a lot of divine imagination that goes into some of our questions that that we have about heaven as well as hell. For instance, in heaven, will we know the people that we knew here on earth? Will we still know who our spouse was? Will we remember the things from our life? Is heaven merely just a collection of all the things that I really, really love? A lot of people say, I'm pretty sure there's chocolate in heaven. For me, it's more, I'm pretty sure there's a whole big old stack of of, uh, Cool Ranch Doritos with my name on them. 
But we also ask the question, will I start off as an infant in heaven? Will I come in, in with a mature body? Um, will I have a body that's perfected? Since I've been trying to get rid of this spare tire here for a number of years, will that just be gone and I'm now a, a physical perfection? Is that the situation that we walk into? Are there going to be different sections of heaven for different denominations? Maybe. Probably not. Maybe not. Now, a couple things that will probably surprise us when we get to heaven, first of all, are who is there, who is not there, and that we are there. We get to that point of of realization that we don't know everything about one another's uh, eternal resting spots, and so we really have to take our cues and, and answer to some of the myths that have popped up about heaven and hell. Now, which ones am I talking about? That's a good question. Purgatory. This teaching teaches that our soul is stained with sin. But after our soul leaves our body, our soul will then go on to a, a time of, of punishment until that sin can be purged. When our, when our soul is then clean, it can then go on to heaven. A second myth that has popped up is universalism. When the Bible says that Christ has died for all, those who believe in universal, universalism, they say that's exactly what the Bible says, is exactly what it means, and that all people in all times, in all places, in all situations are covered. There is no need for hell. There is no need for any kind of work that we need to do between now and then because when Christ died and paid for it all, it means all. Thirdly, there's another myth that as our body dies, our soul is simply annihilated. We just cease to exist. And again, this leads us to the point where we can say, all right, you know, if as soon as I am done with this body, my soul also is annihilated, I have nothing to worry about. There's no need for me to change my life one way or the other. Another, another myth that has popped up is that heaven is boring. We have bought into a lot of commercialization of what heaven will look like when we hear about there's a guy with a robe, he's playing a harp, he's laying on a cloud, and after about 45 seconds, this gets really, really boring. But we realize that, you know, in that scenario, we're just kind of left to this nebulous existence where we don't really have anything to do. A lot of other, he- a lot of other questions about heaven are... Will we be able to go back in time? Will we be able to jump from one part of the universe to the other part of the universe? Another question that we have is, is hell really going to be that bad? I mean, if all my friends are going there and I want to go there, we can just kind of be together. Is it really, you know, is it really meant for me? I pay my taxes. I'm faithful to my wife. I don't beat my kids. I'm not an eco-terrorist. I've never killed anybody. Is it really that bad? 
you know, am I really leading a life that's bad enough for me to deserve hell? Now, we can't talk about this for very long before we realize that not only do we have questions about heaven, but we also have some very profound hopes for heaven. Many of us have lost loved ones, and it hurts very deeply. It hurts all the way down to the core of who we are. Some of us have um, a body that over time has just deteriorated. It hurts. It's a pain to, to be awake and moving. Some of us have been living a life that we've always been trying to live up to someone else's expectations, whether it be parents, teachers, friends, family. And we always seem to come up short we realize that some of our heavenly expectation, our heavenly hope, is that in Revelations when, when Christ says, or I'm sorry, when John says that this is the place where every tear is going to be dried away from your eye. This is where we, where we are going to be made whole. This is the place where we are going to be able to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Earlier this week, um, Chris Carey put something on his, uh, on his Facebook page. He says that, that, that there are three different ways that we can view ourselves. The way that other people view us, the way we view ourselves, and then the way that God sees us. Huh. We realize that our heavenly hopes carry a lot of weight. Because we have the hope and we have the expectation that heaven is going to be able to satisfy a lifetime of want. A lifetime of need. A lifetime of hurt. I have to give you guys a little bit of credit this morning because you guys showed up when you knew that we were purposefully going to be talking about heaven and hell. A lot of us come to uh, the come to this place having a past where we accidentally wandered into some kind of uh, tent revival meeting where the pastor was speaking about hell in such a fire and brimstone way that you almost feel as though he wanted you to go to hell just to prove him right. There are some of us who have been in situations where we go into a church service where they're almost trying to discredit the possibility of hell to where they're, they're talking like, wow, heaven is the only real option. And so in the, in the middle there, we find a lot of very skewed experience speaking against what the Bible might have to teach us. Just a moment ago, uh, we, were, we were recapping uh, Dave's lesson from last week of what happens when we die. And we realize that the punishment of hell is very real. Christ confirms it. When you look to, uh, to the Revelation account, you realize that punishment and judgment is coming. And for those who do not have a right relationship with Christ, 
that is a very real scenario. That's, that's going to happen. Jesus confirms that the rich man was far from God and that he was spending his eternity in torment. He wanted, to, he wanted any way out of it. He wanted to, to find a way in which he could even have Lazarus go back to tell his, his family, hey, this is reality. You need to get serious about this. Abraham's, uh, Abraham's response, though, confirms that, you know what? If, if they are not going to listen to the prophets, if they're not going to listen to now what Christ has shown us, they are not going to believe anybody. They're not going to believe any set of, 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 uh, of examples to prove the reality of hell. Now, as I was just speaking about a moment ago, we've heard those pastors who have just unpacked the reality of hell, and it's almost as though they're trying to scare the hell out of you. Right? The punishment of hell is a reality, but it's not the main thing. You guys remember that scene in City Slickers where Curly is uh, talking with Billy Crystal, I can't remember what his name was, and they said, you know, what you have to do is you have to find this. You have to find the one thing. Many times, even when we are talking about the punishment of hell or the reality of heaven, we're missing the one thing, the right thing, the, the true north of the situation. The punishment of hell is definitely one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, we also see the perks of heaven. Revelation 21 unpacks it pretty well. It sounds pretty awesome. We have the streets of gold. We have the crystal lake. We have the mansion for every one of us. It's inside the gates of a pearl. Apparently apparently heaven is a gated community. Um, We are reunited with loved ones. And we have the opportunity to eternally explore the glory of God. Just think about that for a second. We have eternity to explore the glory of God. It's an amazing thing because in our heavenly expectations and hopes, we also long for a place and a time where we can have restored relationships with those people that we've had here on earth. We want to be in a place where we long to make a decision as good as I can be in my intentions or even in my delivery of what I do, there's still the twinge of sin. There's the twinge of pride. There's the twinge of, well, it was close to perfect, but it wasn't perfect. In this world, we have a longing that nothing in this world can ever fulfill. It can never satisfy. Part of our heavenly expectation goes beyond the perks that we've been told. It goes beyond missing the punishment of hell. And it it still even longs for a little bit more. When I was a little kid, uh, when I was about seven years old, uh, I was going to go visit my grandparents uh, for a week with my brother and sister. 
and my grandparents drove down to where we were living in Sydney, Ohio, and we were going to drive to Flint, Michigan, which is about a four-hour drive. Now, just a little bit of background for this. My grandfather was a Baptist pastor, and my grandmother was a Baptist pastor's wife. And so they realized that for these four hours, they had a captive audience. And my grandma, she actually sat in the back seat with us, which was kind of weird. I thought, like, she was an adult. We were kids. We were in the back seat. Anyway, she unpacked what the punishment of hell looked like. She also unpacked what the the perks of heaven looked like. And she said, now, don't you just want to go to heaven? Don't you want to ask Jesus into your heart? By the way, guys, that is the easiest pop quiz ever. Do you not want to be tormented and tortured forever? Or do you want to live in, in luxury forever? That's the easiest pop quiz ever. That's the biggest sales pitch in the world. Some of us come to this morning and we realize that we don't even yet understand what our sin does to us, to our relationships, and ultimately to our relationship with God. We can't be in a room this size where we all have it kind of figured out theologically or spiritually. I'm willing to bet my paycheck that someone in here does not yet realize the cost of their own sin. When we realize what we have to, to get away from as well as what we're going to, we realize that some of us have not yet asked Christ to be our Savior. On the other hand, when it comes to the perks of heaven and being able to explore God forever and enjoy God forever, I realize that we also haven't, there are some of us here in this room who have not yet taken the step of asking Christ to be our Lord. Those are two different steps. The first one gets us out of the punishment of heaven. The, the second one helps us to start realizing the perks of heaven. we realize that that one thing that we are pointing towards is not necessarily getting away from the punishment, not going towards the perks, but looking towards what does it mean to be in the presence of God. John 14, 1 through 12, I should say John and not Luke. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered that I and the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, Philip, even after, don't you, I'm sorry, this is where I messed up on my, my typing skills. Uh, if you really know me, Philip, even after I've been you, among you such a long time, don't you even know me even after I've known you, been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me, he does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because, you have se- because of the work that you have seen me do. We realize that our eternal situation is not necessarily one of the punishment of hell or the perks of heaven, but we realize that it is the presence of God himself. Christ, as he's talking to his disciples, he asks the question, how can you have been with me for so long and not realize that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. We have this understanding that when we get to heaven, all of the distractions are taken away. The distractions that we get so boggled down with here in life, am I doing a a good job at work? Am I pleasing my family? Am I making my friends happy? Do I need to take care of take care of the car which seems to be breaking down? Am I taking care of that loose knob on on the fence post that needs to, to be tightened down? We have a lot of distractions that take away and cloud how we see the presence of God. Many times, after one has become a Christian, they'll come up to a pastor or to a friend who's a little further down in the journey and say, okay, I hear that Christ is calling me to abide in him, but I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what it means to abide in Christ. And the answer comes back, at first it sounds not satisfying at all. They're going to tell you, well, first of all, you need to get into God's word. You need to realize that the Bible is not just a static, stagnant book, but rather it's a love letter that's going directly from God to you. Secondly, you need to be in in time of prayer. You need to have that open dialogue of communication between you and your Heavenly Father. And we realize that as we start to work out the different areas of our faith, and as we start to see the fruits of the Spirit alive in our life, we realize that Christ is calling us to be a part of him and his work. We realize that we are supposed to be the light in the darkness. We realize that we are being called to be a part of of who he is. In heaven, we take away these different distractions where the Lord Jesus promises his presence to us so that we can enjoy him forever. Now, here in these next couple weeks, we do have the opportunity to extend that light to the world. Right here in Lakeland, right here in Florida, even around the world with our our Christmas shoeboxes, But I also want to let you know of of another opportunity that's coming up here in just the next couple weeks. Because if there's one thing that I know about the 11 a.m. service, it's that you guys are looking for for places to get plugged in. 
on January, I'm sorry, December the 8th at 1.30, we're going to be gathering here at the church. Primarily, it's going to be youth and their families, but it's also extended to our entire TBA family. We're going to be participating in a, in a one-afternoon service project called Christmas is Not Your Birthday. We're going to be heading over to, to Highland City. We're going to be doing a little bit of cleanup for some folks, but we're also going to be hanging some Christmas lights. This is just a physical representation of the light that we are trying to be in the world here at Christmas time. I realize that many of us come to that, that time of year and we, we think of the presents that need to be bought and wrapped, the food that needs to be cooked, the get-togethers that we need to have uh, with folks that we know, family. But this is also the prime time for us to be an extension of ourself and go and light the darkened world. As the band comes, we take this moment quickly to realize that as I was saying before, many of us in this room are coming from many different directions. Some of us here have not yet realized that our sin does have a punishment attached to it in hell. Some of us have not yet asked Christ to be our Savior. On the flip side, some of us have not yet asked Christ to be the Lord of our life, to, we, to where we are starting to recognize his presence and abide in him. Let us uh, agree in prayer. Father, while we were still sinners, you made a way for us to be reconciled to you. You sent Jesus to atone for our sin and to redeem us so that we could have a right relationship with you. Help us to see clearly that our hope is in heaven. Help us to see that our hope is not based on the hope of heaven, nor is it in avoiding the punishment of, of hell, but rather that it lies in the presence of you. Help us to see that the point of eternity is to explore your glory. There are some here today that have not met made Christ their Savior. Father, I would ask that you send your Holy Spirit to help them see their sin the way that you see sin and the effect that it has on our lives, that it separates us from you. Help us to see our situation exactly as it is, one of desperation where, we ha where you have provided one way and one way only. Let today be the day of salvation. Some of us have not yet made Christ our Lord. Help us to get past the punishment and the perks and help us to abide in your presence so that we can show the light of Christ to the dark and dying world. Help us to live transformed lives so that it will be plain to see that you are the Lord of our life and that we are forever changed because of your love. In your son's holy and precious name, amen.